0: Hi, this is Jenna Adams from the Psychoanalysis Podcast. After 15 years of reporting on your favorite pop culture, Consequence of Sound is relaunching as Simply Consequence, and they're kicking off this new era with a fresh rebrand and a newly designed website. The rebrand more accurately represents Consequence's expanded coverage scope, which now includes music, film, and TV, as well as Heavy Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. With a focus on optimal usability across desktop and mobile devices, the new website offers a sleek, fast-loading experience that's easy to navigate. Further, a new Premium member section will offer features such as a customizable homepage, desktop, and mobile notifications for your favorite artists, an ad-free experience, access to exclusive giveaways, and other unique content. So what are you waiting for? Head to consequence.net for all your pop culture needs in both the mainstream and the underground.
1: What we've got here is failure to communicate.
2: Nine times. Mr.
1: Brown. Mr.
2: White. You know, for kids. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blue. Mr. Orange.
1: Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? I see. 21 gigawatts.
3: Their obsession.
1: I'm gonna make them an offer,
3: can't we?
2: No, I'm just getting warmed up.
3: Their words.
2: I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? I
1: drink your milkshake. Someone else's movie. I'm a god. Your god. I'm a god, not the god.
3: Directors, screenwriters, actors. And film fanatics record feature-length audio commentaries for the films that changed their life.
1: I want you to get up now. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. That's the sidetrack.
4: Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis.
0: This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams.
4: I'm Lara Unnerstall.
1: And I'm Mike Snoonian.
0: We are joined by a special guest today. She is an actress and educator, and she is the lead writer at Morbidly Beautiful, Jamie Alvey. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Hey, I'm so excited. Jay. And we
0: were just bonding because I am not going to be the only one with a Southern accent today. So,
2: no, it, it, it's nice to have other people with Southern accents and stuff because it's like I feel less out of the ordinary, I guess. <laughs> exactly,
0: yeah. <laughs> um so today is a comfort horror episode and we define comfort horror as the scary in quotation marks movies that don't really scare us but they bring us joy or they make us feel good in some way. And Jamie, you chose our film for today. What movie are we talking about?
2: We are talking about the 2017 adaptation of It, which is technically It Chapter 1 because of course there's It Chapter 2 right
0: yeah it was it for a while like just it yeah but now i feel like we have to call it chapter one because of the implications. just to clarify you know? yeah mm-hmm. so. <laughs> but
1: the working title was it's around the corner
0: <laughs> it i'm gonna be enunciating it I a lot today
1: too so disappointed that in none of the movies that joke is made
4: <laughs> right so
1: just knocks it down a i know far.
4: come on richie um <laughs> half of a bright one anyways clown <laughs> yeah i'm gonna keep thinking about that because that's how we do the ratings mm-hmm. on losers club and so on. right <laughs> um but before we start talking about this movie uh we're gonna give a brief ish synopsis
0: in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while and i said it but or ish because really tried to make this brief but there's just a lot that happens in the story. it's a long yeah. movie
4: you did a good job like condensing a lot of it so yeah it's well well i'll try to talk, talk quick. <laughs> okay. It's raining cats and dogs in the fall of 1988, and five-year-old Georgie is getting ready to play outside with his paper boat. It gets away from him and sails into a sewer grate. It's as wholesome a location as any for Georgie to meet a charming clown named Pennywise. As he almost immediately unhinges his jaw, rips Georgie's arm off, and sucks him into the sewer, we realize he's actually not all that charming. The following summer, we meet the members of the soon-to-be Losers Club. Mike works at a slaughterhouse. He lost his parents years ago in a racially motivated arson. Richie, Stan, Bill, and Eddie are four friends who are dorky and delightful. Eddie is a hypochondriac with an overbearing mother. Stan is the son of a strict rabbi. Richie is a real Weisenheimer. (laughs) And Bill is Georgie's older brother. I love that word so (laughs) (laughs) I I heard it recently, and I'm like, I'm going to use this soon. And I did. Perfect (laughs) occasion. Uh <laughs> and Bill is Georgie's older brother, still haunted by his little bro's disappearance. Bev is an outcast with a disgusting abusive father, and there's a rumor going around town, even amongst the adults, that she's air quotes loose. Mm-hmm. It was the 80s, it's the whole thing. Ben is the new kid in town slash on the block, picked <laughs> on for his weight. It's the last day of school and everyone is ready for summer fun, except Bill, who's still trying to find Georgie, and Mike, who has to work. Putting a damper on things are the recent rash of missing kids, as well as local bully Henry Bowers, who's beginning to drift into psychotic territory. There's also a clown, or a headless child, or a leper, or a creepy flute lady. One by one, the kids are menaced by the manifestation of their deepest fears. As they maneuver around threat after threat, the kids bond and realize they are stronger together. They learn that Derry is a fucked up town full of creepy and at best negligent adults, and that the cycle of tragedy, always involving child deaths, repeats itself every 27 years. Together, they discover Pennywise's lair, a scary house on the end of Kneebolt Street, where Richie is terrorized by the specter of his own death, and Eddie breaks his arm. Bev saves the day by stabbing Pennywise with a fire poker and driving him back into hiding down the well at the center of the house. Scared, they begin to fight with each other and go their separate ways for a little while. We get a peek behind the Henry Bowers curtain by learning that his dad is emotionally and probably physically abusive. Pennywise manipulates Bowers. He sees a red balloon, the gift of a murder weapon, and hears the people on TV tell him to kill his dad. And so he does. Back at Bev's house, Bev's dad tries to assault her. And she knocks him the fuck out with a toilet lid. Go, Bev. But then she's immediately abducted by Pennywise and turned into a damsel in distress. Bill assembles the Avengers and they set out to save Bev. Once in the sewers, they are attacked by Henry Bowers, who straight up tries to kill Mike as well as the flute lady who bites Stan's face. Bev wakes up in the heart of Pennywise's lair, but she's not afraid of him, having already confronted her horrible, disgusting father, so he puts her in the deadlights, a floating limbo where she can only be saved by Ben's nonconsensual kiss of true love. But hey, at least they didn't film the child orgy scene <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, we can't have everything. <laughs> I
4: Cowards. will
3: never not bring I that up. I
1: don't talk about
3: it.
1: <laughs> Andy Muschietti, you coward.
4: <laughs> you fool. <laughs> you missed your chance at the Oscar. I'm just kidding. That's it's right. right. Yes, it's a not... smart
0: choice, but we, we just.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Bev is brought back to life, but now they need to kill this fucking clown, Woo! which they do by facing their fears and standing up for each other. They refuse to be afraid of Pennywise and drive him back into the well. For now.
3: <sighs>
4: Bill finds Georgie's raincoat in the lair and begins to finally grieve and let go. A few days later, Bev says that while she was in the deadlights, she saw a vision of all of them as adults. Hmm. Is that the sound of a squeak calling <laughs> Why would you ever say sequel when you can say squeak? Well, can say, especially it's like with the nose, like Hong Kong. Anyway, okay. I'll, I really, okay. I'll, I promise no, to please stop. never stop.
3: Those
1: allergy meds. Man. Those.
4: This is, I mean, they're just, they're, they're helping. They're tamping this down. They're tamping this personality down, baby. Okay. Uh, they all swear to come back to dairy if it returns. They link hands as the summer and their childhood comes to an end. They all begin to go home until just Bev and Bill are left. She's moving to Portland, away from her terrible father. But before she leaves, they share a sweet goodbye kiss. And that is it. Chapter Chapter one. one. Yay! I don't know. That's the sound of a book closing. (laughs) Did
1: Beverly knock her dad out or did Beverly kill her dad? I don't know. That
4: was never... I can't remember. It's not clear to me. Does anyone know? I thought
1: he was dead D E. I mean
4: i wouldn't have a problem with that if that's what
0: happens yeah. but but i am glad because that's one of the things that's always kind of bugged me and stuck in my brain about the book is i like after this and it's different the way it plays out in the book but i was always like what's she gonna do when she goes home tonight what like how is that gonna happen mm-hmm. and i love that it's like at least somewhat addressed here you know so mm-hmm. Yeah. And so all that to say, I've got a lot of feelings about this book and and this movie and cannot wait to talk about this. Um, So let's do our feelings check. This is where we share our first experience with the film and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Jamie, I know that you love this movie. When did you first encounter it? It? <laughs> and how does it make you feel? I'm sorry, I'm going to stop doing that pretty soon. <laughs> but not immediately because,
2: you know. I watched it Open it the day it opened in the theaters. Um, actually, with my parents because we were all like, you know what, we're gonna go see this as a family <laughs> oh. because we, we were all interested. Um, my my dad liked some good coming of age for. Um, I think that's just a holdover from the eighties and stuff. And my mom just like war in general. Oh. And we went and watched it, and it was it was such a fun experience just sitting in the theater with everybody and like i just remember everybody just laughing so hard at the rock war scene and um which is also one of the best parts of the book Mm -hmm. in my opinion and it was just it was a magical experience and just like a little gasp when they had chapter one at the end too that was audible it was so fun, and I I walked out of that theater, and I felt better than I had in a long time because you know, at that time, I was like halfway through grad school. I was tired. I I literally did back to back semesters. I went through it from from uh, spring, summer, and fall semesters, each each one, and I was trying to get through that, and I I just felt very in the just gonna quote Midsummer. I felt held by that film (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's not often that you see that it's particular kind of like childhood trauma addressed in film because you know everybody just kind of shrugs off bullying as being something that's just it happens Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be traumatized by it but you know we know now that's not the case and it really resonated with me and just the sweetness of their friendship, I it, it warmed my heart. And um, I walked out of that theater and I felt joy.
3: Hmm.
0: Mike, what about you?
1: Yeah, very similar experience. I mean, first, like it goes back to my love of the book. Like I read this book in sixth grade when it came out. I did not understand the orgy scene at the time. <laughs> I will say that. And they were like, Things like the turtle and the cosmos, things I didn't get. But what I did get was like that bond of friendship and that idea of just Mm -hmm. like the freedom of being like let out of your house and like don't come back until it's dark type of deal and making like these incredible friends. And like I had a very similar childhood that you would play in the woods and the swamp and you would just have like these, that's what you did all day. It's just like biked with your friends and hung out. So it remains my favorite book by Stephen King. And I will say that like every time I watch this movie, it makes me pick up the book and start rereading it at this point. The movie, it was similar experience of Jamie. My wife and I like had a date night. We went to the theater that was like right down the road from us, which is basically a mom and pop theater. You don't get assigned seats. You can't, I ordered my tickets ahead of time. This was like, completely sold out it was all high school kids that were going ape shit before <laughs> the movie started i had just started grad school myself so it was kind of like the rare night i was going to have out for the next two years and i remember my wife and i looked at one another and were like what is it going to be like are these kids going to ruin this movie but the second the title card went up everybody just bought in and it was uh, just incredibly fun experience like people were laughing during it and yelling at the right parts but it was like more of a communal like no one ruined the Mm. movie and i was blown away by even though it's not a completely like faithful adaptation how it got the spirit of king's work right the next time i saw it was at a drive-in with two very close friends and their dog and again similar experience like completely packed night At a drive-in where normally it would have been like a quarter of the cars there. And just the debates around this movie after, like, is this actually a horror movie? Because horror movies can't make a shit ton of money and be successful without that question coming up. Right. So I'm just going to say definitively for the record, if your movie opens with a small child Mm -hmm. getting his arm eaten off (laughs) by an intergalactic sewer dwelling shape shifting clown.
3: Yeah,
1: I don't care if the rest of the movie is like Meryl Streep and Dame Heron Marin staring lovingly into one another's (laughs) eyes while swapping cooking recipes. That's a horror movie at that point you are in a horror movie.
4: I want to see that
0: movie. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Y'all absolutely. watch that. Yeah, if this is not a horror movie, I don't know what is. It's like you know?
1: exactly. Such
0: a definitive But that came up like,
1: "Oh, it's it's a dark drama." It's, you <laughs> know. Fuck off. <laughs> that, uh, just that came up. <laughs> I wish so. you could hear
0: my eyes rolling, listeners.
1: <laughs> oh, we, roar, roar. I know. Absolutely. That's my so, eyes
4: rolling really far uh,
1: back. <laughs> I I do find myself like nitpicking it when I watch it more now. I think it's because I'm so familiar with it that it's just kind of like you look mm-hmm. for things. Um, in particular, like, I wish they did the book thing to Patrick Hawksetter yeah, and yeah. kind of went into his whole... Because to me, like, the Patrick Hawksetter, his backstory is actually the creepiest, scariest thing mm-hmm. in yeah. the book. So, yeah, and this was more just standard horror stuff. But, but it's hard to complain. Yeah. I mean, really hard to complain. I do
0: like his death scene a lot, too. Yeah. Also, in the book or the movie? In the movie. Like, I, I wish it would, like, I don't know. That's one of those apples to oranges things, yeah. but like, I, I do really like that one. And Owen Teague is now mm-hmm. my new horror crush because I love him. So,
4: good to see it.
2: Yeah. I, I, it's like every time there, any, if a horror movie does well, it's like, is this horror? Is this, yep. like, they act like that a movie can't have more than one element. And I was like, you know what? If you watch any successful horror movie that has any kind of like really resonating staying power to it, like Night of the Living Dead, if you wanted to be a contrarian asshole, you could say, "Oh, that's a domestic drama or something." Mm -hmm. But it's it's obviously it's a horror movie, and I think people need to stop acting like horror movies can't have other elements and they can't have depth and that they don't make money because obviously that's wrong.
4: Right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and and we should want them to make money because that means studios will finance more and better horror. You know, when you it's actually like when you give talented people a budget to work with, they, they can do really great things with it. <laughs> and like, yeah, it, it's almost like it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that bugs me a lot of times is those arguments are
0: coming from inside the horror community.
4: Right. <laughs> Stop. I, I piece the fuck out mentally when I start hearing that. I do, too. Uh, I'm uh, like, no, yeah, yeah no. Goodbye. <laughs> Laura, what about you? Yeah I also saw this I think maybe opening weekend I was really excited for it the like um, theater one of our little neighborhood theaters here had like a fake photo booth set up with like a big stand-up replica of Pennywise you know and I was like taking photos with it never it was just really exciting and it was just a a truly popcorn delightful horror, like exactly what a horror movie in the theater experience should be and um this movie, especially in the way they uh, adapted it, I, I think I used the description when I first saw it as like like a candy store, like around every corner, there's a little sequence or a scene that is kind of stands alone, like all these little vignettes that all the kids get. And for me, that's like being a kid in a candy store. Like you can just go and you're like, oh, I want this part and I want to see that part again. And I want to, you know, it just it like really lends itself to rewatching and rewatching because you can really just, con- you know, enjoy all these fun little sequences that you get out of it um and obviously like the, the kids in this movie rule i especially mm-hmm. love the kid that plays eddie Kaspark, not begin i well i always say i am eddie Kaspark. so like i'm <laughs> I, it is like he is me to a t so i just i you know i just especially love that kid and when even in chapter two when james Ransom plays him i'm just like i love you you're the i love you eddie Kaspark. but yeah and uh yeah, this just really resonated with me. I, I watched the miniseries when I was a child because I was in love with Tim Curry and I saw it when I was way too young. And I think I also read the book when I was way too young to the point where like, so much of it went over my head that I actually I'm far, far overdue to reread it. And it's just one of those books that's so big that I'm like, can never find a time <laughs> to be like, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit down and reread it. But somebody did give me a first edition uh, of it for for Christmas as a secret oh, wow. Santa gift. So I might, I might crack that bad boy open. This is inspiring me. Yeah. I just, I freaking love it. I think this is a delightful adaptation. It's absolutely a horror movie. I think it really taps into that feeling of childhood. I was also very severely bullied and just, I love these kids. I love their story. I love the, the basic takeaway of it. If you can like look past all the cocaine King issues and stuff that is like kid's, are stronger than you think and more resilient than you think and with friendship you can like defeat really the horrible shit that you're about to face in life or maybe already facing Uh, I just think that's a really wonderful takeaway and it's a it's a perfect medium for a horror story like it's just brilliant if there's a reason it's so iconic uh, I friggin love it
0: yeah. It's, I, I really love it too. And I've read the book probably about five or six times. Although Laura, I will Damn. say this, the audio book is read by Steven Weber, who is really delightful good. and it's yeah. a really good audio version.
1: It's a really good read.
4: I should, yeah. I should check that out.
0: I've probably listened to that more times than I've actually read, like physically read the book. Cause you have
4: to like, like hoist the book up. <laughs> like, it's a heavy book, you like, know? You know
0: yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember I went to see this on opening night. I had my tickets in advance. I was so excited because this was like I was thick into my like admitting again that I love Stephen King. Cause I feel like a lot of Stephen King readers like kind of have this phase, like a lot of the times around college or early adulthood where people try to like shame them for not reading like the hoity-toity books but I was like back into my Stephen King love and man and I was so excited for this and the same I had the best experience watching it I saw it with my friends who didn't know what was going to happen like they, they weren't familiar with the story which is like I I don't remember when I read the book but I was probably in middle school and like it blows my mind sometimes that people don't know the story just because I'm so familiar with it you know but it's ah just fucking loved it. It's so much fun. The kids are amazing, and like Mike, I think you said, like it could easily have gone off the rails if they had not mm-hmm. cast right or cast well. I will say, my I've got a couple of um bugaboos with this this adaptation that knock it down from a ten for me. Um, I hate what they do to Mike's story, mm. and I'm. I'm not crazy about the way Bev's story ends. And and we can talk about that. Like, I don't think it's, uh, I don't know. I've got complicated feelings. But that, that kind of holds, like, that tempers my excitement for it a little bit because those are two of my favorite characters. Now, my other favorite character is Richie. And I think his story... I think they really, really do a great job of representing him well in this book and showing that he yeah, he's a loud mouth and he's obnoxious, but he also is really brave and he's really caring and he's really the one to support Bill a lot of times when no one else will. And I just love that. Like I was I was born in nineteen eighty. So like I was a couple of years younger than these kids are. But like man, I loved Bust a Move. I loved New Kids on the Block. Like this was I wore a lot of those clothes. Like this I watched this and I was like, ah, that's that's that was like my childhood. But on the other hand, like I because of some of the stuff that I've talked about in earlier episodes, I was not really good at making like good friendships, you know? Um, And so I feel like I watched this and I was like, oh, they're my friends. Like, cause I, I feel like I didn't really have this kind of friendship. And then I saw like friendships, like when they're older as adults, like, oh, this is, this is what friendship can be like between adults, you know? And while I don't really think I had those kind of friendships as a kid, I feel like I have them now, you know. So I'm watching this, and um, and a lot of them are based around Stephen King. So that's that's a cool thing too. But like, I watch this, it and it's just so heartwarming. I feel like, uh I just love it. And, okay, and here's my one weird thing that's my weird connection that I really geek out about: the song "Oranges and Lemons," which is the song at the very beginning: "Oranges and Lemons." Da-da-da-da. I, in my day job, I do a lot of folk music. And so uh, that was one of the songs we were working on. And I was like, oh my God, I was like the Leo DiCaprio meme. Like, <laughs> oh, I hear this. And like, we had to like edit the song because at the end it says, um, we will chop off your head, you know? And we were like, okay, well, we can't put that in an elementary school curriculum. But it's like really used well here, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's one of those like really nerdy levels that I don't know if a lot of people would pick up on if you don't know that song. But like That's watching great. it this time, looking at it, I was like, ah, It's just so menacing if you know what the song is about. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's my long rant about all of my feelings about this book and this movie and this book. So let's talk about specific stuff. What do we love? What do we maybe want to kind of tackle a little bit? And maybe a good place to start is with the general theme of friendship and then of childhood fear. And I've said this before. I forget there's a clown in this book a lot of times because when I think about this book I think about the friendship you know Mm -hmm. and I think about this group of kids and it's that's that's my favorite part of it
4: can can I ask also like uh, on the theme of childhood fear and trauma Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very curious Jamie because you mentioned that you wrote your thesis on Mm -hmm. this topic why don't you tell us a bit about that and we can maybe use that as a gateway into that theme
2: yeah perfect I wrote i wrote my thesis and basically part of it was to show that king has it's a weird thought being an academic and being really into horror because people try to act like they're diametrically opposed like we're not sitting in classes talking about frankenstein and wuthering heights and all that lovely Mm -hmm. gothic stuff Mm -hmm. yes but i was making the case for why we should take Stephen King seriously. And I think one of the most compelling cases for that is how he handles childhood trauma and it. And I went through each of the seven kids and I got lots of really good, like, research from my case like, studies, um, really good, like, medical literature. And I backed up the text of the book with that. And I went through each child's. Um, I talked about Bill, how his parents emotionally neglect him. How he's pretty much just freeze out from his whole entire family after Jordan's death. He's emotionally neglected, and it, it, it stumps him. I feel like as an adult later on, and then I, I talk about how that led into that, and then I talk about Ben and the effect of you know weight motivated bullying, like and there's there's some data on that that is so sad too yep. And i talk about bev and the implications of you know sexual assault as a child um then i talk about you know ricky just being generally bullied i talk about mike and the implications of you know racially motivated bullying and i talk eddie was eddie was an interesting one to do because there's so much literature on munchausen by proxy now and Mm -hmm. it was it was interesting because of how well some of those case studies lined up with eddie and his experience and what he experiences with his mother in the book and then of course i i got to talk about stan who stan became a character that became very close to my heart because bullying is now considered an adverse childhood experience and children who experience an adverse childhood experience are typically at a higher risk of either um, attempting or completing suicide as an adult. Mm-hmm. And um, I tied that into it as well. And I think right. it was one of the most rewarding things I'd, I'd ever written because I re- I relate to these kids so much because mm-hmm. I, like, I was bullied to the point that um, my pediatrician actually took me out of school for a little bit, and I just did kind of a little homeschool track for a few months because
3: mm-hmm. it
2: was affecting my mental health that severely. And here, here we are. And you know, when when I came in contact with the story as an early adult, I was really taken by the fact that this is basically a story about facing your childhood trauma and how mm-hmm. trauma does come back. And you have to fix it, and, you know, processing that as an adult. So it was, like Jen said, I wasn't good at making lasting friendships when I was young. But I, I feel like I have that now. And I see a lot of the love that I have for my friends there, too. So it, it was a very sweet
3: experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: That's interesting that you said that. Or the, like, I loved hearing you go through all of the different characters because one of the th- criticisms that I've heard about the story in general and I think you just changed my mind on it is that there's like Mike and Bev have like real trauma, you know, and mm-hmm. everyone else is kind of like, ah, "I'm picked on," you know, and I feel like it goes deeper here. And one of the things that's really upsetting about this book is like this is really harsh bullying. Like this is like I sometimes wonder what Stephen King's school was like, school years were like mm-hmm. because this is like extreme, really physically damaging and emotionally damaging bullying.
4: I think it shows like a a diversity of experience, and of course, some cases are more severe than others you know, mm-hmm. by any metric you want to apply to it. But they all find common ground with each other and they can find comfort with each other and they all essentially mm-hmm. understand each other. So I think it's it's less about how they're different and more yeah. about how they're the same.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is Mike and Bev's trauma like relates to like traits that they can't escape yeah. from. Like obviously yeah. you have Bev trying to navigate as a woman who's, or a young woman who's basically... Sexually abused or emotionally abused by her dad, and then later on in other relationships, and then you have Mike who can't escape like the racial drama and everybody else. it's there are physical characteristics about them that kind of make them a target mm-hmm. for bullying, but there are things that can be in some way, shape or form maybe overcome mm-hmm. um or that they can kind of shed and escape from, uh, but Mike and Bev aren't going to really have that have Mm -hmm. that option and I think I don't know if that makes it more or less real than the other traumas but I think it makes it all the more damaging
0: yeah well and I think like it's like nobody ever compares their pain between the seven of them you know and I think that's the key because like yes some of them face like I'm thinking of Richie Richie kind of probably has it the easiest of all of the seven based on what he goes through outside of the clown Um, but he's never like oh I have it so much easier you know he's never comparing himself to the others which I think is key because no one is ever going to have the same experience and that's when we do start to say well my trauma is more important to be dealt with now that's when we divide ourselves. And I just love that they never, they never even really think about doing that, Mm -hmm. you know?
4: Right. I think it's written from kind of a place of innocence, you know, I guess I, innocence in air quotes, like King as a like cis white, Hetero dude, like he didn't mm. really think about that kind of thing, like when writing it, and that you could say, say you could take that as a criticism, or you could take that as like he accidentally wrote like something that was really intersectional, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, you know, like you you're forced to confront all these different experiences, in, in and even and such an immensely popular book. I, I think mm-hmm. there's there is value to that.
2: Yeah, and I thought a lot about trauma recently, and I was like that. There's just such an overlap in victims experiences no matter what the source of the trauma was because we're all left with these after effects that are all just crippling and very similar Mm. and I'm always what really struck me when I picked up the book was when we meet Richie as an adult what we see him go through is literally a PTSD spiral because he's Got his call for months, and he mm-hmm. is just sent into this swirl of just bad memories, and he's vomiting. And I was like, I've experienced that, and mm-hmm. it's you just—it's it, not something that you would typically think about. Something in
3: the '80s—it's
2: so powerful to me that you know there's a lot of observational um acuity there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Totally. I think it's interesting that you brought Stan up, too, because I feel like of the seven, he's the one that often gets forgotten, mostly because, spoiler, he's not really around for the adult chapter for long. But I do think that that is an important thing to mention, you know, and and definitely something that is true to life. And also, like, not everyone is out loud with their trauma. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of times people really hide it and repress it, and you don't know how much they're suffering, you know?
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really see like, again, just like a a diverse spectrum of how trauma affects people differently, and the ways Mm -hmm. they externalize it and internalize it. And it's, but it's told through this lens of like, they're all coming together and being united around it, which is really, really sweet. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's lasting. It's that image of them in the movie with them all holding hands kind of at that, at that, in that twilight between childhood and adulthood, there's something Mm -hmm. really powerful about that image. And really like, it makes me like start to tear up if I think about it, you know, cause like, I, I don't know that time in my own life was so hard. And I also feel like I didn't get that kind of friend experience, you know, and I feel in some ways, like I was thinking about it and it's like my childhood was robbed from me by bullying and by, you know, what, what I realize now is like getting hit really hard with depression. Like that was the came around puberty, you know, for me. And, but there's just something about this. It's just there. He he captures a magical essence that feels it's the essence of being that age and Mm -hmm. facing those fears. And, and, and and I love the, the things that I love about this adaptation to pivot a little to the, to the movie itself is, um, the way that they cinematically depict their different fears coming to life is one, is mm-hmm. it's visually wonderful. It's so inventive. And it feels so true to like those things that would freak you out. Like I, I remember in my own house growing up, there was a mirror at the end of the stairs. And, you know, if you we had two floors, upstairs, downstairs, and there was this mirror and like a closet with a mirror on it. And I would, whenever I had to go downstairs, I would be like, just do whatever you can to not look at that mirror because I always had this sense that there would be something in the mirror or my own reflection would come to life and like kill me or something. You know, Mm -hmm. there was something about that mirror and the way that it was positioned at the end of the stairs so that I would always be like, I'd always walk down the stairs looking at my feet and, and then I could just feel it breathing at the end of the stairs, you know, and I'd always have to like rush past it, never wanted to look at it. And Mm -hmm. there's that scene in early in the movie where Stan, it's got the painting. And that's mm-hmm. like that Ma- Magliani looking ass painting that com- ends up coming to life and being the flute lady that we mentioned. And just the way that that's depicted, I was like, I have never seen something that so accurately captures that feeling I had of like that thing that always freaks you out it com- mm-hmm. coming to like, I just, I love it. And the way that it looks, it's like, it's a little cheesy CGI or whatever, but they do it so artistically. And like, uh, I just, the art, you know, the art direction and stuff in this movie is just Italian chef hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that, and I love the way that they come to life for each of the kids with the leper and and the the headless guy in the library. All of it is just, it's just delightful.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the creepy flute lady is probably the most successful of yeah. the the monsters. Although I love the headless kid too. And I love the way that plays out that you don't like, it's like the third step down when you see that he doesn't have a head. It's mm-hmm. so cool. And like, I'm not a super big stickler for differences in books and movies. And I think that they really, some of the changes we made I already talked about don't love, but I think the changes to the monsters, I think they really did a great job with that, you know?
4: They knew what would work visually, you know? Right. Like, and yeah. it has to, that, ha- you have to have like look at things with something of a cinematic eye. And, and, and I think Machete also had such a love for the source material that for the most part, it was done very lovingly. And the one that like, th- that
0: is my favorite or the one that I probably connect with the most is um, Bev and I just love her. She's one of my all-time favorite characters. But she doesn't really have a monster. Like, the monster that chases her is really, like, her womanhood because she knows that puts her in more danger. And I just absolutely love the way that that plays out here. I think it's really, really well done. Um, And that was, like, that was my biggest fear when I was little was not, not necessarily, like, getting my period, but, like, my biggest fear when I was a kid was my dad, you know? And not in the same way, but I love that they, King and this adaptation doesn't try to make that a monster in air quotes. You know, Mm -hmm. they just kind of let it be what it is because it taps into that, like, really unnameable feeling of dread, you know, that felt really real to me.
4: And I think the closest they get with her is the hair and the blood that comes out of the the sink, which I think is really powerful because she, like, cuts off her hair as... A fuck you to her dad, mm-hmm. and then it comes back and like is literally like trying to like drown her in blood, which I had never made that connection, but like I guess you could see it as like your period or your womanhood, you know, um being yeah. associated with blood. And I mean, at that age, also it is like really freaky when you get your period. At least if you were me at that age, going ah, <laughs> ah. Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's again, it's a really power powerful imagery. They knew what would like pop on screen,
2: mm-hmm. and I just had the weirdest thought. Like you're talking about the hair and it's pulling her back and stuff you could really tie that to her re-victimization as an adult of being pulled back in because Mm -hmm. i I talked about that in my paper quite a bit because that's such an important part of her character because i've seen criticism that people are like oh this is bev's not that strong strongly written of a character because she just goes from an abusive father to an abusive husband and I, i i'm like Y- y'all are entitled to your opinions, but that's real life, honey.
0: That's the yep, real that's,
2: life.
0: <laughs> that's the other reason that I really and, relate to Bev a lot.
2: And, and that just all mm-hmm. oh, boils my blood. Boils my blood. Yeah, I was like, that's a real life. There's there's data on it. There's research. it's read a book. Yeah, pretty
3: much. as <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to not talk about them as adults, yeah. too, but that is another scene that one of one of the ones that has really stuck with me over time out of any book I've ever read. And part of the reason that I love her so much and I love the idea that them overcoming this fear as children carries forward into their lives and really affects them in meaningful ways. And then, you know, some isolating ways, which I think is also interesting, is that. Most of them don't really have meaningful relationships with other people or healthy relationships with other people, which I think is not to dig too much into the adult section, but something that is another interesting manifestation of childhood trauma sometimes, mm-hmm. which may be a whole nother conversation for another day. But, um,
4: yeah, I yeah. feel like there's there's so much to unpack there, and that it's it's really hard to divorce chapter one from chapter Two, even though it we're is. we're discussing just this one film, <laughs> yeah, you just can't well- forget it. And I remember when they were... Because I was really
0: following the development of this movie, too. You know, and I remember, like, all oh, the casting news. Blah, blah, blah. um. And I heard that they were going to split it into two movies. And they were going to do it this way. Because if you haven't read the book, first of all, go read the book. Um, but if you haven't, like, it goes back and forth between all of these flashbacks. And I was like, how are they going to... That, no, that's so different. But I think it really works here. I don't know if it works as much in the second yeah. movie. But for this one, man, it really because you don't ever leave that that glowy
3: feeling.
1: I don't think they intended to bring the child actors back initially for IT Chapter 2, but I think because the cast was so strong mm-hmm. in that, and I think that's what audiences really connected to, and I feel like one of the really smart things that they did in this, in this adaptation was remove it from the 1950s yep. Yep. Yes. and mm-hmm. set it in the late 80s, like 1989, because I think that's the sweet spot for a lot of the audience they were going for. So I know for me, like this would have been right around that time where this is like, I would have been maybe two years older than the kids in this book. So still in that kind of time frame. and like so much of watching this movie, it brings me back to living in a small town, riding bikes with my friends, playing outdoors and like, yeah, avoiding bullies. Like definitely we had on my street, I remember like there was like, I think first grade, I was bullied so badly by one kid that like the police got involved at one point. Oh, wow. And then that kid just continued to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just got like beaten even worse by the kid because of like reporting it. It just brought back a lot for me mm-hmm. going back in, and kind of watching this and then going from like finding out, like you could kind of avoid the bullies a bit if you could find your friends at Mm -hmm. that point and like finding that group like if I just stick with these people there's like a strength in numbers right at that point and I think that's one of the things that really really stood out to me um re-watching it it just brought me back to my own youth at that point and both good both the good and the bad of it I
4: I also like that they didn't shy away from having the kids talk the way people talked in the 1980s, like deeply on PC, like, you know, they just like, they had to do that for it to feel real. And I like, I like how, um, how awful the bullies are in this because they didn't, they didn't pull Mm -hmm. any punches. You know, I think the bullies like Bowers and this is scarier than Pennywise in a lot of ways, just so unhinged. And the other thought that I had, and I had this thought when the movie came out that, that we go through these kind of 30 year cycles of reflection as we age Mm -hmm. and, Pennywise comes back every around every 30 years, every 27 years. And so it was like Stephen King wrote this when he was a young man, reflecting on his childhood. Now the filmmakers were reflecting on their own childhood. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. something like weirdly symmetrical between that and the way that Pennywise cycles through things and the way that we age as as you know and go through traumas. I don't know. There's something there and it's just I don't know. It's just something I've thought about a lot, but can't really draw any conclusions from. So yeah. yeah.
1: I think what this does really well too is It's in the book, does it even more so? But it really demonstrates the way that kids are able to shrug things off in a way that I think now we don't give kids enough credit for. This helicopter parenting definitely wasn't a thing when I was a kid, and it's much more so. I think in these days, like it's much more so of a thing now where we worry about. Any everything that could possibly affect our children. And I think a lot of times, like mm-hmm. we deepen their trauma by telling kids like this, what happened to you is really, really bad, even when the kid may not feel it. And it mm-hmm. just reinforces that to the kid who otherwise may have been able to shrug some things off and build some resiliency. Like mm-hmm. we talk about kids needing to develop resiliency, but we often don't give them the tools to allow them to do so. Yeah. You know, I just, we've been on a Simpsons binge lately and I just watched the episode where it was like the diorama contest and you have the dad that is like building the diorama for the kid and all the kid (laughs) wants to do is like make it on their own and the parent like refuses to let them because it won't be right. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, One of the things I think this movie does so well is it really allows the kids to kind of, despite everything they've been through, like shrug things off and move on with the business of being a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite chapters of the book is like, it's a single sentence and it's like, nothing much happened in August, you know? Yeah. And I almost put that in the synopsis, but I didn't think it would make sense. But mm-hmm. like, I just, there's just this time where it's like, yeah, I'm I'm just eating my breakfast and then eating my lunch and I'm going through the days and doing the stuff, you know? And it's
3: mm-hmm.
0: knowing that this monster just attacked me a couple of weeks ago, you know, which I think you're right about. We've had a lot of flooding just today in Nashville, and some people died, and it was pretty bad, and some of our friends' houses were flooded, and we were talking about it, and we were watching the news, and my son, who is six, was getting really scared, and, you know, that's kind of that internal debate of how much do we tell him, and how much do we scare him, and we don't want to – so we just said, yeah, this is a scary thing, and this is – it's not going to happen to us today. If it happens, we'll protect you. You're going to be okay. Like this is what you look out for. But it was just one of those moments of like, how much do you Mm -hmm. let your kid experience fear? And I think one of the things that's interesting about this too, is kids are, they pick up on that anxiety Mm -hmm. and they're going to create their own monsters and they're going to get that fear out in ways. They're still going to experience it no matter how much we try to hide it from them, you know?
3: Yeah.
2: I don't know. But it's good, it's good to to validate those feelings too because my parents were, were similar. They were, they'll be like, this is how it is. And they, they validated how I felt. And I really think that has actually added to my resiliency because my parents, um, I was always open with them and I could talk to them about stuff. They've just been very good at validating how I felt at a time when so many my feelings when ignored by uh, the administration of the school, particularly.
0: Well, shall we talk about parents? Because the parents in yeah. this
2: movie are
0: terrible. Long. And that's one of the things that really bugged me about um, Mike's storyline because I feel like in the book, Mike has one of the, the only supportive family systems mm-hmm. and they took that away and it bugs me. And
1: you know. I don't like that. They gave Ben mike's, mike's that,
0: that yes his librarian job oh, right me
1: i I, yeah. I don't like that because it kind of defeats the purpose of like why Mike stuck around for 30 something years Yep. right So that's one of the things i think that like really bothered me like that's a and that's a pretty big thematic change mm-hmm. right there it's the idea of like mike being the one that's left behind what's really mm-hmm. important to note is he you know, scrapes by, whereas, like, everybody else from the Losers Club is extremely successful
3: mm-hmm. in
1: adulthood. And I think that was a real, that shows kind of the sacrifice that he had to make uh, mm-hmm. in order to kind of be the, the, the lighthouse keeper, basically.
0: Right. Yeah. I feel like both films really fail Mike's character mm-hmm. in a yeah. lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, it, which I, because he's really the lens that you read the story through yeah. in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, because he frames everything, and it just felt like like a big, um I don't want to say betrayal. That seems a little harsh, but yeah, it it takes it kind of un- cuts the heart out of the knees of the yeah. movie. It's so. a bit
4: of a, a bit of a whoopsie.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. he's just not in it enough. They don't give him enough yeah. to do. I think right.
4: the kid so, is the kid is charming that plays him, but I, I think that they just don't give him enough. They, I think it's yeah. more of a writing
1: perfectly fine in everything that he does mm-hmm. here, but they just he has nothing to work with. Whereas I think like. Bill, Ben, Richie, and Bev in particular, they're given basically the lion's share of everything to do. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, you know, I don't know if it's accidental, but those are the four characters that at the end of chapter two are still standing. I mean, Mike is still standing, but he's not part of the last act of the book. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, this is a really like, we we should at some point talk about the childhood cast after we talk about, the parents because like they've already gone on to most of them have done some incredible work in other mm-hmm. genre films but Let's. I'm sorry. I kind of interrupted the thought about the parents there.
0: Oh no, that's okay. Just to say that they're all terrible, but that I yes. love it. Like it, it <laughs> works so well. And I love how this adaptation captures that mm-hmm. kind of undercurrent because it feels like it's part of dairy, not necessarily mm-hmm. part of these parents. You know, yeah. especially with Eddie's mom and Mr. Keen, who's not mm-hmm. technically a parent, but I would <laughs> say he's an adult authority figure. But they mm-hmm. both kind of have that look in their eye that like, can I trust you? Which I think is yeah. something that I related to. Like, yeah. Can you really trust your parents, you know?
1: Well, Mr. Keenan, there's something lecherous about him in that mm-hmm. scene with Beverly where he calls her his Lois Lane, and it's like, oh, that's getting me in the creepy spot right there. Yeah. But she <laughs> uses it, she
0: right. knew he was going to do that, and she uses it to her advantage, which I think there are layers on layers mm-hmm. to talk about there, too. No. But- yeah.
1: I think what this, you know, because one of the undercurrents of the novel is how. The adults they can't see pennywise they're not if they but they're affected by pennywise like there's something in the water basically mm-hmm. that allows like the adults of the book to kind of ignore everything that is going on and i God. think this movie does it really well in that like they paper over flyers of kids that have been missing once a new kid goes missing because like the uh, the first kid is like old news at that point and they are not deserving of of any more attention. The okay. car that drives by when Ben is being bullied and basically assaulted by mm-hmm. Henry and Patrick and Chris and Chris. Stephen I think it's Steven Weber who plays Bill's dad, correct? I think that's him. I could be wrong. Really? I thought that was Stephen Weber's Oh no.
0: he has it's a Stephen not. he has a wings esque look to him. Okay. But no, I I would spot Stephen Webber a mile away because I love that man. (laughs) (laughs) Jen would know. Jen would smell him. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Um, Bill's father's reaction is so, I don't want to say over the top, but it's so devoid of any empathy for what his, and obviously like Georgie's parents suffered a horrible loss that would be hard to imagine. But to completely and it's similar to what happens in stand by me like this it to me is stand by me but with horror elements thrown yep. in yeah
4: to- yeah okay. they feel very similar <laughs>
1: gordy loses his older brother and he no longer exists in his parents eyes at that point yeah. and it's very much the same thing here with bill like he's no longer no longer really part of the family
4: i think it's a very accurate Depiction of kind of how adults are in a lot of ways. Like I, I think as an adult, it's it's kind of playing by Polar Express rules, right? Like you know, it, it's as an adult you have learned to that there's so much tragedy that you, and that so many things are unsolvable that you just give up really on things mm-hmm. on missing people and you you look the other way because you don't want to get involved or it's too complicated. Um, whereas like when you're a child, you see things a little bit more as they are because you aren't like jaded by society man you know it's mm-hmm. like you're like oh no my brother is still missing this is still a thing what are you talking about and there's mm-hmm. a more of a sense of I think at least especially as I was a child you know you have this sense of like really pure justice and seeing things like as right and wrong and and when when the world doesn't adhere to that system it's very baffling so I think it's again it's a kind of a pure element to this story that feels very representative of how childhood felt to me
2: hmm Bill's reaction to his father in that scene absolutely breaks my heart because it's he's just so crestfallen because he's trying to work through his own grief as best as he can and he has no actual support system. And he was excited to try to puzzle this out, thinking he was going to do something for not only him, but his parents. And it's, it's a tough scene. So many of the scenes with Mm -hmm. the parents are heartbreaking because emotional needs across the board, it it seems like to me. Mm -hmm. And it felt really personally indicative of some of my own experiences with the adults in my life when I was about that age, because it was more so like, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, and no one sees it. And no one's really paying attention to that. And you could, I I often think about that part where the car just drives by Ben, Mm -hmm. they see Ben, they see what's happening and nothing gets done about it. And that just, that part hit me in my soul because that just felt so encompassing of my own experiences. I can kind of laugh about it now because I've been through it and, you know, it's just kind of terrifying to think of this little version of me, just like, uh, help me.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I had the same experience with the teachers in my school. They didn't give a fuck. And like, you know, it's just, it it does shake your confidence in things. (laughs) Let's put it Mm. that way. And that that, like, that there's anyone there to protect you because they're not.
0: Yeah. Well, and if the authority figure is telling you that- no, you can't ask for help, then you just start thinking this isn't help that I deserve, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that, one of the things that I'm thinking now that it's really interesting about this story is that I feel like that's, like, a world that um, women and, like, minoritized or other communities live with every day is, like, these things are happening out loud. You see them. You see that this is harassment or this is racist, but nobody is going to do anything about it. And I think a lot of times – and I think – it In this movie, it happens to white boys, too, you know, and I think that kind of allows people that don't always see that kind of stuff as harmful to kind of empathize there as well. And you know?
2: if, if I was going to go on and expand my thesis and I've, I've thought about it because you could honestly add in Henry Bowers because in many ways he himself mm-hmm. is a victim because i mean his father obviously is running on some toxic masculinity and that stuff's passed down <laughs> yeah and i'm like mm-hmm. i was like this is pretty much uh the argument that mm-hmm. everybody is just fucked by the patriarchy and you know even <laughs> even like you were speaking my language <laughs> yes
1: i missed the depiction of hank bowers in the book uh where he's like a soldier that's returned from war and he's very much like a combat induced like ptsd victim is what it will be recognized as now mm-hmm. um and he's completely gone off the deep end and that's why he's terrorizing his family and this he's just like really a massive bully although he has the best line in the movie when he shoots at his kids feet and he's like it just only only takes a little bit of fear to make a paper man crumble and i think mm-hmm. like that is a the best line Johnny Cash never wrote. <laughs> it does feel um, very, yeah, like yeah. my old
4: cowboy, yeah. But to say right. that to your son, it's like, hmm, can't imagine the problems this is going to cause. Right. <laughs> right, I think yeah. you
1: see. And in the book, like, Henry worships his dad despite all of dad's issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gone from here. I know the original script by Carrie Fukunagua bowers was a lot more of a antagonist in that than he is here where he kind of exists more in the periphery and he drives a couple things forward the biggest change that i think this movie makes that i don't like is i don't like how the third act is kicked off i don't like that beverly who's been like a pretty much of a badass character throughout the movie all of a sudden becomes like a damsel in distress that needs to be Mm -hmm. rescued and I don't like that the losers like basically split up at some point I miss that moment where like it's just a perfectly ordinary day when the kids are playing down in the barrens and they're chased into the drain pipe um, by Bowers and his flunkies at that point and that's what kicks off like the last act of the childhood section of King's mm. book and I wish they mm-hmm. had kept that for a lot of reasons because like honestly like Bowers feels included in this movie, and especially the second movie, because it's expected of him, not because he actually accomplishes anything.
4: Yeah, I I think that a lot of the adaptation missteps, I'll go ahead and call them, that happen here mm-hmm. are were done for length of the film. Mm-hmm. And I, it's why I really, really love television adaptations or miniseries adaptations of books because when you try to compress especially a book as sprawling as it uh for film you crush detail and yeah. with it you crush the subtlety and uh, of you know really important character arcs mm-hmm. and you know Mike mm-hmm. suffers Bev suffers Bower you know Bower's and the depiction of Bower's and his fa- relationship with his father suffers and those are three really important parts that you know speak to marginalized experiences that end up getting crushed mm-hmm. probably for mm-hmm. the sake of of neatness and story lane. And that's just the kind of thing where I'm like, whenever I, I was very, actually very skeptical before they released this film that it was good. I was like, Oh, this is going to suck. There's no way you can do this book justice. And even in a two-part film, it just, it's got too much going on. And for the most part, I, they surprised me and I really enjoyed it, but there are definitely things yeah. that suffer for it.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. imagine if this got the outsider treatment Mm-hmm. that um one of king's latest books got and maybe mm-hmm. you did 12 episodes over an hour in length and not only could you go more into the backstories of the kids but you could also go into things like the black spot you could go into mm-hmm. like the like gang the that is assassinated yeah the interlude that you know and the interludes are hinted at here in murals and books mm-hmm. but like i mean didn't you want to see the Ironworks episode? Yes. Didn't you want to see like the gangsters coming into town and then getting mm-hmm. gunned down? Mm. I know I wanted to see like the black spot, especially with the tie-in to The Shining. I mm.
2: um, one of the yeah. parts of the book. I.
1: <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Mm.
1: It's I. I wanted to see like I said before, like Patrick hawksetters Not only do I feel like his death is just becomes like a standard horror movie like scary kid moment but also like hockstetter is the most terrifying character to me in the book Mm -hmm. his whole like he's basically a sociopath that believes he's the only person in the world Mm -hmm. and you don't get that here i do like his appearance on the cover of the teen magazine that the bully girl is like reading in the pharmacy i kind of like that moment
0: oh i didn't see that
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's on the cover of the teen magazine that she's reading. Um in a really creepy little
4: Yeah. Easter egg. And he also looks like a Ramon. So I like the way they styled Mm -hmm. him.
0: (laughs) And like seeing Owen Teague as Harold Lauder in the new stand adaptation and knowing like how he like he would have killed that role as Patrick Mm -hmm. Hoxtedter and like added so much to that character. Yeah. I will say, like, if they're not gonna have time to really dive into all of these i am glad that they chose not to really develop henry's character Mm -hmm. as much as the other kids because like he is still allowed to be a villain and i think a lot of times like I, I complain about us spending too much time trying to understand the bad guys, you know, and I think in the book it works because it's like eleven hundred pages, you know, so we right. have enough time to develop everybody else first. And mm-hmm. then we get to see really kind of the motivation behind what he does. But, they, I, you know, they just didn't have time here. So I'm glad they chose to kind of cut that.
4: I do think what they did with his father being the kind of like the cop and like this authoritarian Mm -hmm. dickbag who clearly like savages his son and his son is like compensating for it, even just saying like, oh, I've got to get that. My dad will kill me if I lose it. You know, it it really tells you all you really need to know. And it's Mm -hmm. enough of a humanization without excusing his actions, you know. So I think that 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 was fairly deftly adapted. But the others, the the Bevan um, Mike stuff is pretty unforgivable. But
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I've gone on on many of a tangent mostly about Mike because I I wanted in the second part for them to actually have the scene that led up to the rock war because I think that also mm-hmm. shows just how depraved Henry Bowers is but it also just mm-hmm. shows just the horrors of just like Racially motivated violence, too, because I mean, mm-hmm. imagine gaining a kid's dog's trust only to poison it. Ugh. oh my god i th- I think about that all the time, and justice for Mr. Chips is my
1: is my <laughs> brand <laughs> mm-hmm. because
2: i I just yeah. I wanted that in there because i it's like no offense to the to the little girls and stuff that I've seen that 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 have a crush on the Henry Bowers' actor. Uh, Nicholas Hamilton, I think is his name. And uh, he's Mm. great. He's a great actor. But I'm like, no, honey, don't 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 romanticize at least uh, separate because
4: yeah. you have a little, a little tiny boner save your love for patrick Hawkstutter like me <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i think it's okay to like find an actor yeah. playing a villain attractive as long as you're not like i love that racist knife happy <laughs> you know psycho i also just watched a behind the scenes featurette for this movie and they were showing the scenes where that the, like how the kids were all actually friends with each other behind the scenes and like the kid that was playing bowers like you know they showed they were showing how they filmed the scene with with ben uh, over the, the bridge, you know, and um you know, he's, like, screaming in his face, and then they yell cut, and he's, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And, like, gives them a, they give each other a big hug and stuff like this, but they were doing that with Skarsgård also, you know, yeah. uh, uh you know, just, like, because they had to get so intense with each other in some mm-hmm. of these sequences, but these are freaking children, and so they were very sensitive to that, and, like, they also had the scene where Skarsgård is fucking with Eddie Kasparak in the house and, like, putting his hand on his face, and he's, like, mm-hmm. spitting in his face, and then they show a little interview clip with uh, that kid, and he's, like, it was so gross, because I had, like, spit on my lip, and at when we cut i thought it was my own spit and i licked my lips and i realized it was bill's spit it was disgusting and like (laughs) like, and i'm like they got they you know like
1: they got the perfect eddie right
4: oh yeah yeah yeah. and they can't shoot that movie now anyway but gotta (laughs) keep that spit away from each other anyway Tangent.
0: Let's talk about new Pennywise because I mean that was one of the big like can anyone top Tim Curry and, and he did
4: he somehow did I
0: think he, he kind of did I mean Tim Curry yes. will always be iconic as Pennywise and yes. that that performance mm-hmm. will never die but man like he's great in this you know
4: yeah I mean Scar's guy I mean he is just fantastic I think he he uses his physicality so well and the the very fact that he can actually make his eyes go in two separate directions like. Mm-hmm. Wild. That's just fucking. Wild. I think about
2: that <laughs> yeah. so much more than I should, and I think about it, and I—it's <laughs> yeah. so uncomfortable to me because, like, sometimes when you're just looking at like the po- like the posters for like it chapter two, and there he is, it's just it's a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Uh huh.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's got those luminous
4: eyes that make him just—you yeah. want to photograph him, and like he just—he—he he so captures that innocence but like that suddenly turns to predation like he he Mm -hmm. gets those little those little subtle shifts in his face and his his emotion so well like that first scene with him and Georgie where it's like you really like I could see being he looks so childlike and it's it's barely accented by CGI and stuff like but it's it's mostly just his performance I think he's fantastic yeah
1: Tim Curry's Pennywise to me he was always like a mix of Cesar Romero's the Joker in the mm-hmm. old Batman show mm-hmm. from the 60s and Archie Bunker like kind of <laughs> ridiculous and just Sorry, like funny. pissed off just pissed off at the kids like
3: yeah. I don't
1: really understand his motivations and as creepy and great as he is like I actually have like a it lunchbox of Tim Curry that every now and then I bring to the elementary school that I'm a counselor
4: <laughs> yes <laughs> so, scare
1: yeah. children and my wife would not let me give it to my daughter to bring this cool as <laughs> her lunchbox.
4: <Boo. laughs> yeah.
1: But I think like guards, scars, Pennywise, so you have a better idea for his motivations, mm-hmm. but he also plays Pennywise a bit like in a toddler. Like there's this glee and joy in everything that he does. And being destructive. And it's kind of the same kind of glee that like a toddler gets when he knocks over a sand castle or like builds a thing with blocks and then just like swipes at it, like this real mm-hmm. happiness at all the chaos and destruction that he's causing. And there's also like the way Scar Scarred just has this disjointed way of moving. Yes. That mm-hmm. is like incredibly upsetting and off-putting.
4: like an air sock like outside of a car dealership with like the wind going (laughs) through it but like but it's like it's it's just pure chaos you never know he could from one moment be in one place and then end up halfway across the room with his arms Mm -hmm. flailing it's just Mm -hmm. chaotic and terrifying
1: yeah and i think the other thing that he does really in that last scene of his in the movie like he sells pennywise's fear like this Mm -hmm. idea that this like millennia old being who's never experienced any sort of pain or suffering he's always been the one to inflict it Mm -hmm. but the tables have been turned on him and you get the sense that like he's very afraid that he's not going to survive and he doesn't understand it i really like that about scars guards performance i don't think you get that Mm -hmm. in the original in the original
0: That was one of my nitpicks from it, um, mm-hmm. from the first couple of times, and I actually liked it this time when he mm-hmm. says fear at the end because I think I understood what that was, like, mm-hmm. like what you were saying, Mike. He's experiencing fear for the first time, and mm-hmm. I think I had kind of read that as like, why is he saying that word? Mm-hmm. Um, but that this was the first time that I really liked it, and I did really enjoy that interpretation. I also know that one of the critiques of the miniseries is like. He kind of just yells at him and doesn't really do much. And I think here it's very clear that he's like playing with his food. Like he's doing that for a purpose, not just because like we didn't have the budget for some of the effects because it was in 1990, you know? And I I don't want to like talk too much about the original because I've only seen it all the way through once. It's very
1: good for its day and for being a major um, broadcast television. Mm You know, I mean, Tom Lee Wallace did a fantastic job with it. And there's a reason why especially the first part is so beloved, but I think that like this adaptation really exceeds it in pretty much every conceivable way.
3: oh, yeah, in terms of I its agree.
1: execution. In particular, I think like the child cast, I think oh, is just yeah. absolutely fantastic. and it's I don't think that it's any accident that most of these kids either have done or continue to do, really impeccable uh work right now i mean Mm -hmm. probably the biggest name heading into it would have been finn wolfhard from Mm -hmm. stranger things but if you run through the list wyatt olaf has gone on to do a few things for netflix like i'm trying to actually with sophia lillis i
4: think he's in yes is it the i can't remember what it's called
1: is it it called the
4: end of the i am not
1: okay with this
4: i'm not okay i keep wanting to call it the name of another series but that's Mm -hmm. that's the end end of the fucking world yeah Yeah, i keep like slapping them in my mind yeah
1: sophia willis like to me like when i pictured beverly in the book she was always like this character that like as like a middle school kid you would have fallen in love with the kids kind of hero worship her and they kind of follow her around like a puppy dog and i remember like having a crush on a girl at that age and like having that same kind of feeling like just wanted to like follow them around everywhere and you get that here like she grows up to be this like stunningly beautiful woman and i think like jessica chastain in it chapter two is that person Mm -hmm. and i just never got that in the miniseries you know what i mean like i never got that you know, Emily Perkins would go on to do like great work in the ginger snap movies
0: Mm -hmm. and supernatural.
1: Was she in supernatural? She's in
0: supernatural. She's Becky and she's hilarious. She's not in very often, but whenever she's in, it's
1: amazing. (laughs) And then a metal tool. I think I best remember her from like Smallville is Clark Kent's mom. Um, Mm -hmm. but this to me is like, this is book Beverly. And I know you wanted to talk about, about movie Beverly a bit. So I wonder if it might be a good time to transition to that.
0: Yeah. Um, I I still cannot believe that child orgy scene is in the book. Like, how did that get past an editor, <laughs> you know? And, like, when I think about it, that affected the way I saw myself as a girl growing up and, like, mm-hmm. uh, what I saw my role in relationships with boys as, you know, because she uses herself as comfort for them in their time of crisis. Like, they literally come together on her back And I just, I was like, (laughs) I I, I apologize
2: for that. Stephen King did it. Yeah, Um, it's not you. It's Stephen King. Right. He did that 100%. And
0: (laughs) And there was this time that I thought that was really empowering. And I thought, oh, I have this gift as a woman. I can, like, use my sexuality to, like, join people
4: together. And now I'm like, holy shit, he just reduced her to her vagina. Like, that's. If you, if you want a movie that explores that in a really interesting way, watch The Love Witch by Anna Biller. Like, I like have, her, yeah. The, the central character is basically like lives her life under that assumption and that that's her only value and like the destructive mm-hmm. power that that has on her own life and the lives of those around her. It's just like that is the whole theme of that movie. So it's, I can't help but think about it.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot that I love about that movie, mostly just how it looks, but yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. It is very... Um, but and so I was really, I, I knew there was no way they were going to do that scene in this movie. <laughs> I
3: would hope that.
2: Um, I would sincerely yeah, hope that. All the parents would have been like, no. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. Well, and all of the me's would have been like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. How many think pieces would I have written about that? But but I don't like what they did because they still reduce her to her need to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she is providing like by her traumatization or her victimhood is provide is the linchpin that moves the plot mm-hmm. forward. Not mm-hmm. yeah. what she is going through.
3: You know,
4: exactly. So, and that's, that's crazy. That's that fine line, because like earlier we were saying, like, it's not to say that Beverly isn't a strong character because she ends up in another abusive relationship because that shit happens. It's more, at least in the case of this adaptation, like, and I I think also in the way that they adapt, cha- you know, chapter two, um, it is not, the focus isn't on her. She is not centered. That's It's not really a characterization choice. It's a choice that moves the plot along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, it's sort of treated like an afterthought, and it's not, it's not an empowering way to explore that narrative. It's not that that kind of narrative doesn't happen. It's just the way that they, they, they use it, and the way it just feels uh, okay. like it feels like an afterthought. It feels like, well, we got to figure out some way to get from this scene to this scene. Let's do. Yeah,
1: I think you could have done the same if that's how you wanted to move it, you could have done the same thing with like Stan or Mm -hmm. Eddie, And Stan would be, I think, a more natural choice given where his character Mm -hmm. goes in the second chapter. You could easily say that like he had seen the deadlights. And because of that, he was, I think it's because he was unable to continue. Because I think that like, it's heavily implied, I think it's implied that the reason why stan commits suicide at the start of the second movie is because of his experience what he saw when he was being devoured by the painted lady mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I so i think that you could have done if you need to use that as a mechanism yes. to move from a to b then stan is probably your most from a storytelling perspective and from yeah. a logic perspective so you know i i know that it, it seems like they try to like redeem beverly a bit by her saying i'm not afraid of you and then he smells her and he's like she's he's she's right she isn't afraid of me to show that she's still very powerful she's but still I a hashtag
4: that, girl boss
1: right yeah but i just think that that kind of i don't think you need it i think you'd have done the same exact thing and I think like Bill could have gone to the group and been like, they have Stanley. It would and have even would have-
4: made sense. Sorry, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just I'm like vehemently agreeing with you because like those they take this moment in the sewers to have him be attacked and get separated yeah. from the group. That could have just been the moment. That's why yeah. they all came yeah. after him. That makes yeah. so yeah. much sense.
2: It's like, you know what? I would have 100% have hauled ass for Stanley and went down into those sewers for him. I I, I feel for Stan deeply. And it's like, you know yeah. what? He is underrated
1: he is underwriting for the losers yeah. I, I hate to say it and i'm going to get yelled at in a minute but in terms of like motivation as well like given where these characters were at the moment that they had kept, the losers had basically disbanded
3: mm-hmm. like
1: if bill comes to me and says like they got stan and i am richie i'm immediately going in no questions asked because i have like years-long friendships with him If he comes to me and says they have Beverly, I'm like, that girl I hung out with for like three weeks, like, oh, (laughs) that sucks. I'm going to keep playing double dragon. Honestly, (laughs) like, I'm not trying to be an ass, but I'm like, it's the, you know, I know like it does get a lot of the friendships right in this. What I watch at this time, it's about 95 minutes of that third act kicks off. Like Mm -hmm. you don't get a ton of time with the losers just as friends. What you get is very good, but I would have bought it a lot more if it was like Stan or even Eddie that had been getting captured and sent, and then everyone decides to come running. And I would have bought it a lot more if like Bill went to Beverly first, because I think Beverly would be like, who do they get? Absolutely, let's go. Yeah, she's really
4: the the guns blazing hero mm-hmm. of the group like she's the bravest and the the you know actually it makes so much sense that I'm now really pissed off that no one thought of that uh, or no
2: one gave that note yeah. when reading the screen the screenplays I mean, <laughs> I'm furious if they want to do the moose jetty cut because i know he was interested in going in and adding more and doing a super cut. If release the Mouscheti mm-hmm. cut, if the <laughs> <Broadway's> long cut. <laughs> um, if they want to, I—I I mean, we would—we're a ready writers room right here. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah.
1: I please. I would love to see a five and a half hour or five hour version of this movie. Yeah, to, to cut together more like the novel. Like, Mm -hmm. I would absolutely pony up for the Blu-ray. Hell yeah.
4: Fuck the Snyder cut. Let's
2: get the machete cut. (laughs) We're all gonna go Um, all in on this. And you know what? I just love the chemistry. That's one thing that I really love about like both casts. They have such good chemistry. Yeah. I honest to God, I would watch them go to a supermarket and go grocery shopping because you know Rich is <laughs> gonna do something fucking yeah. stupid and then the rest of them are gonna
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's there's gonna be some kind of fallout, but it's just the chemistry and that's
3: that's so mm-hmm. rare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's magic right. in a
2: bottle. And they had, again, I just watched
4: that ma- making a feature and they did it all over that summer of 2016 and how they like brought the kids together three weeks in advance of shooting. And like, they really did become best friends. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it was just pure magic and you'll never get it again. You'll never right. get it again. It's like, I would, yeah. I, I wish they'd gotten more.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they tried to do it again in the second one and it's still nice. It's still, it's
4: still good. Yeah. But it's just, it's they, just they had some... a moment and it passed because
0: yeah. <laughs> kids grow up, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, like, Mike, what you were saying about, like, following him into the sewer, like, that that would be rescuing someone based on the strength of a, a relationship rather yeah. than, like, a crush, you know, which I think is more meaningful, you know? And that would remove the element of Bev being a girl. As, mm-hmm. And it just drives me crazy because her plot revolves around trying to avoid being assaulted by her father. And the way she is rescued is by a non-consensual kiss. Like, he kisses her when she is essentially unconscious. And the only credit I will give to the orgy scene over this is that at least she gives consent for all of that in
3: the orgy scene.
1: I think you're playing with, like, (laughs) fairy tale tropes and an act of desperation like yes and there's a big difference between like a non-consensual kiss because ben sees it's just his moment to lock lips with her and then playing into like the fairy tale snow white act of desperation like i i don't see it that way you know i i'm sorry like i get what you're saying but i think that that's
4: I see it no. from I see it from a script analysis perspective not a literal perspective not like yeah. that that Ben as a character was like oh boy that's yeah. my on school um that, that sorry whenever i'm watching Bad movies with my friends and there's a sex scene one of my friends mm-hmm. does this over the mic the entire time he goes yum 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 and so it's like that's all whenever <laughs> i hear so i don't think ben that's was going up to five. bev like this is my chance <laughs> yum 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 but but i do think from a if you if you step back and analyze the script i think jen is correct that is technically what happens and they i think it's it was more of a they just didn't really think it through But I also think that if you're
1: going by how old these characters are, they're like going into sixth grade, seventh grade at that point, then you're going to have like a treasure trove of like literature at that age where like the prince waking up the fairy princess, you know, and like that's more of a mindset of like that. I think it would have played differently if like that scene occurs again when they're adults and he does that at that point. But I just just don't see it as like, oh, it's this giant non-consensual moment.
4: No, I don't to think it's a, a. I don't think it's a. And that's a giant... play kind of
1: like a fairy tale type of. I, they
0: don't set that up at all, is my problem. Like, they have the frog prints, a copy of that on the mm-hmm. desk, you know? And I think, like, I'm sure a lot of people rationalize doing stuff like that as, like, oh, I'm not trying to be a pervert. I'm, but. Yeah, you know.
4: yeah. It's it's less about the character's motivations and more blame being put on the writers who adapted the script. In my opinion, for, for not mm-hmm. thinking the themes of that through very much. I, I like I said, I'm not gonna say that that character was like rapey or something, but um, right. But it's 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 more to me the adults that wrote the script not really thinking through mm-hmm. the actual impact of those 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 events and how it might reflect on Beb as a character given her narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a
0: reason that we don't write fairy tales like that in anymore. Yeah. You know? It, like it, yeah. yeah. Like I don't think that is okay for like sleeping beauty either. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Anyways, that's my 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 cross to bear. Um
2: <laughs> that actually sticks into one of the thoughts that I think about when it comes to the book that I really like because Ben is so respectful of Beverly mm-hmm. and her autonomy. And that's one reason I, I love Ben Hanscom. I, I think that I do too. He's one of the best written male characters out there, and he is just even as a child, so respectful respectful and selfless when it comes to Beverly, because there's this one part in the book when they are adults, and he's like, You know what? I don't care who you love. It's like just I just need to be able to keep on loving you.' no matter what you choose to mm-hmm. do, you can have the world, you can have Bill, but it's like, I just, I just need to be able to love you, and I just, I think about mm-hmm. how elfless Ben is all the time, and the sweet part when he's a child, and he's just sitting there, and he just keeps thinking about Beverly Hanscom, and he, he never mm-hmm. imposes his will on her, and I just, one thing I adore right. about the book, because, ah, Ben- it's very I think rare you're right.
4: to see th- relationships depicted that way. It's very rare to see a character who approaches love and relationships that way.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why that moment hits me so wrong. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like and and yeah, I I totally agree. Like, I don't think Ben is a bad character for doing that. And I do blame mostly the writers. But like, I I do love him. Like, I keep saying, this is my favorite loser. Oh, and this is but I love Ben, too. Because I feel like I can really relate to that story of being like, really ashamed of my weight and ashamed of my body. And like, if you look at, like his relationship with Bev like not feeling like he's worth her love so of course she would want Bill you know and I think there's that's probably a deeper reading than we really want to go into too but I think there's there's just so much humanity with all of these characters
4: you know the 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 movie that I keep thinking about during this conversation is not a horror movie but it's uh, one of the movies that I feel best depicts what my childhood bullying was like which is Welcome to the Dollhouse Mm. Um, Todd Solons like I, if you have not seen that, I think it would make a really good companion piece to this. Um, also especially like the way that she is treated as a girl by the school bullies, like something that is like I very much I, I experienced almost like beat for beat exactly what mm. happens to her in that movie. And it's just something I keep thinking about. And I just uh, I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's just that I know we don't have the section in the comfort horror episodes where we recommend other movies. Oh yeah. Just, so I'm like, watch Welcome to the Dollhouse for like. <laughs> look at childhood bullying stuff
1: there's a moment i really like and i know it ties into like a deleted scene that i think was filmed but at the end of the confrontation with like pennywise when he has bill in his clutches and he makes them an offer he's like look you kids can go just give mm-hmm. me this one and i i really think we talked about like fucked up families in this movie and the idea that like everyone's parents are horrible. And one of the things I like, and one of the things I like about being an adult is you get to determine who your family is at that Mm -hmm. point. You're not necessarily tied in anymore by, you know, flesh and blood. Like you get to kind of choose your family, whether or not you're related by some sort of birth. And it ties in, like there's a a scene that was written, and I don't know if it was filmed or not, where it's like set in colonial times and Pennywise corners a family, and captures the baby, and he makes the mother an offer like, I will let the rest of you go, but mm-hmm. I get to keep the baby. Or I can kill all of you, you pick. And the mother chooses to let him have the baby. And he eats the baby, and the rest of the family leaves. Yeah, the original... There's a, there's a
4: little bit of that footage in the trailer for Chapter 2, and mm-hmm. I feel like they, don't, they never actually yeah. had it in the movie, and it bothered me. Yeah.
1: And I wish that was, you know, that's the kind of thing I would, again, would I would like to see. Mm-hmm. I am... Pro baby eating.
4: Mike oh, likes to the see babies get eaten.
1: Absolutely, they they are probably delicious. They're so fatty. Oh.
4: I mean, yeah. Oh. As far as the as far as the human meats go, I mean, it makes sense. But
1: absolutely. Yeah,
3: let's, but anyway, maybe
2: not. But mm-hmm. we took a hard left into like snow piercer territory. Oh, we, we really did. Do. Yes. What so, the hell? This is yeah. some Chris Evans at the end
3: of snowpiercer. <laughs> okay,
4: so. <laughs>
0: Came to the final train Just, car. <laughs> well, that's saving. interesting because that's very similar to the plot of Storm of the Century. Storm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of yeah. the Century, which is a Stephen King mini series that is uh, similar elements. I don't want to spoil it, but you know that the cut the baby in half kind of thing. The yeah. King's so, like, having is. to it's choice. choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what maybe one of the other things I want to talk about is how sad I think Georgie's death is. Mm-hmm. Um, like it gets me every time I think this kid that plays Georgie is just perfect He's in this so role. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just and like, like they, they got the kids right and they got that first scene right perfect. of him like losing the boat. The only thing that bugs me is the CGI I don't love, but man, like everything. It, it, like, I remember watching that trailer and like, oh, it's Jackson Street, oh, it says that's Georgie, and just like getting so excited to the see this, scene, this iconic scene brought to life. And I love how they bring Georgie back in the end as like he is the representation of Bill's trauma, you know, and it's just so sweet and it makes me cry.
4: The scene in the basement where Georgie mm. pops up and it, then you see Pennywise is like using him like a hand puppet, like is one yeah. of the more chilling scenes to me. Just that like, well, you know, we float too! We float too! And mm-hmm. like everybody's free. It's, it's so well done.
0: I try to think of that little kid doing those lines in a different way every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nailed it.
2: Like, oh no, little George. <laughs> no. Well,
0: and to think, like, I've got a son that's around that age too, so mm. it's just hard for me not to think about him in that situation. Ugh. I texted somebody, I was like, fuck, this is gonna make me cry isn't it? when I watched <laughs> it last night, and it did. <laughs> was there anything else that we want to mention the other scene that made me cry is that lat we've already talked about it but just them standing in a circle like the loser with the lover, lover. <laughs> Oh, it's just
2: perfect. That. I want to touch on that because I just I love that scene that's one of my favorite additions because when she writes loser on there I love that he he chooses to go and mark that out and put a v and mm-hmm. that just that's spoke to me so much because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. him taking control of how he sees himself not how others see mm-hmm. him and I mean I won't lie two weeks after I saw that movie I went I got a loser lover tattoo because I'm yes oh, because that just that hit me so ah oh, in
4: my heart it's it's mm-hmm. beautiful and I, I thought to myself when I saw that like that would make a great tattoo so I'm glad Mm -hmm. you did because it is a really powerful like visual metaphor
0: and I think i would had in my friend my head that one of the other kids drew that on but he does it himself Mm -hmm. I think
4: yeah I think that they did it either like the the kids did it or like you know of the losers club they were like no like you're a lover baby you know (laughs) yeah but it's just
0: like reframing you Mm -hmm. know and yeah it's it's really sweet well shall we move on to our uplifting moment. And now it is time. This is where we share any grounding or self-care that's been particularly effective for us recently. Uh, Grounding and coping skills are the little tips, tricks, mantras, and practices that help us get through tough days or moments, and self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or makes us feel better. And I feel like I've been talking a lot about my like self-care but one of my grounding things one of my big grounding things is taking a shower every day and I thought about it and it probably sounds like a doesn't everybody bathe every day but like it's like really my alone moment time of like there's something about water flowing over me you know especially like the crown of my head and I was reading this twitter post or something about grounding and it was like run your hands under water and then i just started thinking like how like really healing showers are for me in a lot of ways and i mean i guess i'm not a bath person but it could be the same for other people but just that's that's also a moment where i can legitimately say i can't do that for you right now sorry i'm i'm doing this thing you know like it is a a moment of my own literal self care where i can i'm not distracted by anything and it just is very like even through maternity leave both of my maternity leaves I always made sure I took a shower every day Mm -hmm. and that now that I think back I think that kind of helped me get through some of those days so would anyone else care to share
4: the main thing that I've been doing is watching the new Lil Nas X music video, Montero, over and over and over and over again, because <laughs> he does a pull, a stripper pole, drop down to hell and lap dances on Satan, and he's got so many looks in that video, and it is, it's so, and it's like also, I've posted a little bit about this on Twitter, I actually found it really moving, because like the whole point of that song is like he says at the beginning is like, there are some places in this world where you repress yourself and you have to deny who you are, but not here. And like, that's the song. And he, and he tweeted on Twitter that it's basically like he puts this thing down, flips it and reverses it. Like, uh, fuck you to evangelical Christianity. That makes you like hate yourself or think that you're going to go to hell for being gay. And Mm -hmm. his way of flipping and reversing that is to like pull dance, strap down onto Satan, give Satan a lap dance, break Satan's neck, then take Satan's horns and become the Prince of hell. Um, And it's such a, it's so sexy. It's so fun. It's so gay. It is everything. And I love him. I've loved him <laughs> since old town road. Cause I thought he was really fun. And then he, when he came mm-hmm. out as gay and he has this interview with Kevin Hart, when he, and he totally like, it's, I think he's a really powerful figure and I wish I'd had someone like him around when I was a teen, him and that song, WAP also, like, it mm-hmm. was like when I was, I was in Catholic school and, but, but I was Jewish. So I was, con- and told every day that I was going to go to hell And that's still like a really big fear that I have. And so the way that he confronted that in that video in such a like joyous and celebratory way, like actually really moved me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's also releasing special satanic edition Nikes. So that's just fucking baller. Like (laughs) I love him so much. Mm-hmm. I'm. I can't get over it. It's just. It was. It just really put a pep in my step this weekend. So. I have not seen that whole thing, but I'm. Oh, going check to it out! It's amazing. It as soon as we're
0: done. It's amazing.
2: <laughs> we watched my my roommate and my best friend. I I'm so blessed to live with my best friend. Um, we watched the music video, then we watched it again, like right after, because we were just so in love with just everything about it. It's. I was like, this is. Self-care watching well Le- uh, <laughs> slap' dance. It's joyous to see him it really is he's that free too, and I'm like so proud of this this man and his authenticity and mm-hmm. he's genuinely funny too he is- he's
4: so funny those facial expressions and the way he does like little things like this with his and like he's just he gets it he's like he is just i and like i've been I'm following him on Twitter now and he's funny as hell like I love him. <laughs> Jamie, do you have any other self-care things that you wanted to talk yeah. about besides
2: Lil Nas X being amazing? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm I'm one of those people that you know I can't when I'm like really upset. I don't like clutter, so I clean. I'm oh, one
0: here. Those people here.
2: that cleans. I like cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, repetitive tasks like that really help me. Like if I'm not cleaning, I can craft, and that really helped get out a lot of my anxiety. I learned to sew. And during like the beginning of quarantine, I have a a sewing machine now, like actually learned, I knew how to hand sew, but I actually sat down and learned how to use a sewing machine and I'll make little scrunchies for people and people are like, Oh, you should sell these. I'm like, no, this is something that it helps calm my mind. And I like as like Mm -hmm. something cute you can give to somebody and stuff like that really helps. Um, reading before bed every night I've gotten back into the habit of that because everything's so it really just takes my mind off of everything for today I got into like during early quarantine again another thing got really big into like Daphne du Maurier's books so I've been reading a bunch oh. of her stuff and you know oh I wow it's like, <laughs> oh, she's awesome she's she's <laughs> so awesome <laughs> And I, I recently am about a hundred some pages into Jamaica in, and I was like, you know, it's no Rebecca, but she just has such a wonderful way of creating such vivid characters, and she's awesome.
4: Mm-hmm. That that really romantic prose, <laughs> like just so verbose and descriptive. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Mike, you want to share?
1: Sure. So I'm gonna say that. I am going to be a big proponent of, say, telling listeners, if you need it, take the mental health day.
0: Yeah. Recently
1: took one of those where, like, my day jobs have gotten to be a bit stressful. Like, this past week in particular was a lot, and I'm just kind of counting down. There's, as we record this, about three weeks until April break. So, this past week has just been, it feels like stuff is coming in from all sides, Mm -hmm. so like every day is a little bit more stressful than the last so i just made the decision like early in the week i'm going to pick friday and that's going to be a mental health day for me and you know same thing like did a lot of cleaning around the house like did the kitchen bunch of chores bunch of laundry um just did some pickup did some work in the yard Finished watching the Snyder cut. <laughs> I shockingly really liked because I usually don't like his stuff. But I'm like, mm-hmm. the dogs are pissed.
4: Um, <laughs> they don't like the Snyder cut. Yeah,
1: surprised. <laughs> I you know like actually really enjoyed it. It just took time for like myself, and I feel like way re- more ready to go in. I mean, I think you can kind of tell. Like I am just kind of like on a shorter leash than normal right mm-hmm. now. I'm like, I just don't have time for this. So. I feel a little bit more ready to go in and hopefully face like the next three weeks and then have like a, well, I think a well-deserved week off. So
0: Mm -hmm. one of the things that's interesting when I left teaching and started working like just year round, although teachers work year round too, but like, I just forgot that I needed to take my own breaks because I was Mm -hmm. so used to them being planned into my day. And I was like, Oh, I haven't taken a vacation day at all this year. And I've got like three weeks now. So You know, it's, it's, you have to take that time to take care of yourself. It's like putting your oxygen mask on before anybody else's.
4: I think especially in America, like compared Mm -hmm. to the, like a lot of Europe and the way that the like time off schedule that we have is a joke. Um, you know, I work I work in unfortunately corporate America and like, we get like, I have 15 vacation days every year, um, that, and that includes sick days, you know, then we have a lot of like European colleagues and they're like constantly out of the office. And I'm like, no, that's how it should be. The way that we, that we work in this country is insane and stupid. So take time Mm -hmm. off. I agree.
1: I, I remember i started a job they recruited me for my old company and they're they they did not want to give me any vacation time they're like you know we usually start people with no vacation the first what? year. what i'm like i've earned like four weeks of vacation of a year if you're not going to give me that i'm not coming over like right you're out of your mind if you think i'm not going to go on vacation at all like that's insane
4: right and that's you shouldn't want your employees shit.
0: to be working like that
4: no you know yeah. and it's like the whole like amazon startup model Uh or mentality it's like it's poisoning all of us really it It really really is yeah anyway i'll stop
0: Um, well, we want to know what you think. Have you taken a vacation day recently? Um, do, do you love it? What? Who is your favorite loser? What's your current self-care? Anything else that's on your mind, we want to know. You can answer all of these questions and more by following us at PsychoAPod on all the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group it's, I was not intentional, but I accidentally capitalized both letters. So, um, it's a private and moderated group where we talk about mental health things, um, that we talk about in the episodes and lots of other stuff. And it's really great and supportive group. So, uh, make sure to check it out. And you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com. If you would like to share privately If you have a moment to leave us a rating review, we would be ever so grateful. It only takes a moment and it really helps people find the podcast and it makes us feel good. So that would be lovely. Um, Our homework question for this week is, what is your biggest childhood fear? We've talked a little bit about ours, but we want to know yours. So look out for that prompt. I think I've been posting those on Saturdays recently. So yeah, that's how you can talk to us. So next up for us, we are continuing our study of narcissism with creep. Yay! Hey. And, and now I want to sing the TLC song, but I shall save it for the episode. All right,
3: all right,
0: all right. <laughs> <laughs> One of my first CDs. <laughs> Me too. Oh, I love that CD. Also love Radiohead's creep too. Well. All of those songs we shall unpack in our next episode, and we'll also talk about the movie, too. And we are going to talk probably a little bit about Creep, too. The primary movie for this episode is going to be Creep, but I just fucking love Creep, too. Um, and so really excited to watch both of those again. And those are the ones with the Mark Duplass, Duplass, and I think they're available on Netflix, so check them out. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network, and you can find us here, there, and everywhere by going to consequenceofsound.com. And Jamie, where can we find you online and what is
2: coming up for Morbidly Beautiful? All right. You can find me on Twitter at Jamie A. Wright. Not the most, uh, you know, creative handle, but that I was just having a moment when I created it and it's it stuck. So we're, we're stuck. With hey, it. It's descriptive and sustainable. You yeah. Know? I mm-hmm. like it. And then, you know, uh you can find me on Instagram if you want dog pictures, just cute pictures, um, some of <laughs> uh, posting my work and stuff at Jamie Alvey. And um for Morbidly Beautiful, I'm I'm working hard on, you know, my Frights and feelings column. I have one, mm-hmm. uh, one down for that. I've been kind of behind on everything. I've started a new one. Uh, I wrote some. Really fiery. I'm dropping some hot opinions. So we've got that coming up too. And some some other stuff. And I actually while we were uh doing this, I was writing down ideas that I had gotten during the conversation. Because oh, yeah? i that's oh, just how I am. Yay.
3: That's yeah. great. <laughs> I actually
2: I wrote, down, I wrote down about like it, like the I was thinking about the parallels between it and let the right one in. I just kept thinking about oh. the mm. That bullying through
4: life. Yes. Also mm. a very disturbing novel. Yeah. like Probably yes. one of the more disturbing novels I've ever read. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. Same. Um, Mike, where can we find you?
1: Oh, you can find me at Mike underscore Snootian over on Twitter. You can find my other show, The Pod and The Pendulum, wherever you get your podcasts. And as of this episode being released we will be uh just starting our series on the evil dead franchise so we've lined up some great guests Um, i believe the episode is out by the time this comes out and honestly after spending four weeks on or four episodes (laughs) on french horror some of the uh more extreme titles in that movement uh i am very much looking forward to like getting back to fun horror that's kind of like i think a lot more in my wheelhouse at this point mm-hmm. we just released our inside episode as we recorded this I posted about an hour ago and i'm like that movie is a lot and i will never watch it again i forgot mm-hmm. how much that movie is so we're getting back to like the more fun stuff that we do i kind of want to put together some more bonusy fun stuff and i want would love to do a script reading of carrie fukunaga's uh, unused um second script for it because it's completely fucking bonkers Mm -hmm. and i think it's time to kind of put the band back together and do like another uh script reading that we would post as a bonus episode there uh where we just get a bit rowdy and yell over each other (laughs) and a bit slap happy by hour two god i think that would be a lot of fun to do so look for that in the future
4: (laughs) oh that sounds awesome laura what about you You can find me on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Just like the lacy, frilly, sort of semi-Victorian, but disquietingly stained and yellowed petticoats that you wear. And I'm trying to describe if Pennywise was wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. I it. think we can assume that he is, but we yeah. just don't see it. It's just like really frilled and like tightened around his junk uh, in a mm-hmm. way that makes him angry all the time. That's at Underalls U N D E R A L L S on Twitter. His motivation is just his underwear. <laughs> just, just like fucking crotch is itching so bad. I got to kill some kids. Uh, I'm really running out of underwear. <laughs> parallels to to try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> making jokes like that. Good content. Aww. And I got it.
0: <laughs> um you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials and you can find me on the losers club as well. We just finished our desperation and the regulator series which I really dug and really got kind of my nerdy hat on which I always love. So um, if you liked this episode, because we talked about Stephen King, you will like that show, you know, because it's called the Losers Club, which is, you know, (laughs) the Losers Club from it. I'm also doing a stand read along on Twitter and um, Instagram. And I've been having a lot of fun with that just kind of like posting about stuff. And sometimes I'll read passages that I really like. And so you know, make sure to check that out. It's um, the hashtag the stand read along. But if you follow me, you'll see it um and the blog should be out um yay so uh be looking out for that and you know if you feel inclined and you want to shoot me a hey you're not terrible. <laughs> Jen, it, okay.
4: you're not terrible. I know. You
0: I've been know. having so many feelings about this fucking thing. Thank you, Laura.
1: Jen, we assure oh. you, you're better than not terrible.
0: Oh, thank you. You I know, like... that's really all I aspire to. So. Jen, really? if you
4: want me to, I'll be your hype man. I'll follow you around going like, <laughs> Jen, with two N's.
0: <laughs> I yeah. would love that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so... Sometimes we just need that. Oh, so, so I appreciate it. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm up to, and uh, yeah, that's our episode on it, chapter one. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. I just love this movie, and this was so much fun to talk about with you. So thank you so much.
2: No, no, thank you all for indulging me. This is like one of my one of my beautiful little hyper fixations that I have. So, but thank you all so much.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I just love everything that we talked about. Like, that's so, like, that's why I love doing this show so much. So thank you for joining us. Listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure you are taking care of yourselves and taking care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out of of bubblegum! That's my circus <laughs> noise. I don't know if it works.
3: <laughs> Consequence Podcast Network.